0: Welcome once again to Calvary Chapel Valley Springs. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, and I hope that you do, we'll be in 2 Timothy this morning, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you uh, need a Bible, I think we'll have some ushers available here in a second to receive one. Maybe, there we are. Uh, So if you need a Bible, just slip up your hand and we'll get a Bible to you. Uh, We're going to be examining uh, God's Word together. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3 is what we'll be at this morning, and uh, it'll be ambitious for me because I'm going to try to do the whole of chapter 3. We'll see why uh, as we progress through um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, we we were in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the last part of the chapter, but by way of reminder, the book of 2 Timothy is written to a young man by the name of Timothy, who is a protege, a disciple of uh, the Apostle Paul. And Paul is writing this letter um, as a pastor to a pastor, and it's towards the end of Paul's life. Um, he would remind us in uh, 2 Timothy 4 that in verse six, that I am already being poured out a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. Uh, And so with all of the experiences that Paul has had uh, and knowing where Timothy is at and what lies before Timothy, uh, Paul is pouring out his heart as a pastor for Timothy to uh, be a shepherd in the church of God. And so he's pouring out his heart as far as uh, what's required of Timothy as a pastor Uh, what uh, he needs to know, what he needs to do, uh, and how he needs to conduct himself in the the house of God. But for the most part, it's a a letter written on how uh, the the pastor's character should be in relationship to everybody else uh, in the church. And so... Uh, if you've ever wondered what pastors talk about, you can read First and Second Timothy, and you can know what pastors talk about because that's what they talk about, is church stuff. Um, but in addition to that, I mean, Paul, at the end of this letter, he tells Timothy, and get my coat, it's cold out here, and bring the parchments, especially uh, the books. And so he, he has other interests and other things to talk about, but um, the focus here is on uh, the work of the Lord and the, the work the Lord is doing. Uh, and so we have the privilege of uh, reading over Timothy's shoulder, um, and seeing uh, what those requirements are, uh so would you stand with me as we read God's word together? uh Second Timothy chapter three, we'll pick it up in verse one, and we'll go through the end of the chapter verse seventeen. Second Timothy chapter two, beginning in verse one. But know this: that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, your word would be what is it, it is intended to be, or that it would be a light unto our uh, Heat and a lamp unto our path, Lord, that we would know where we stand in light of your word, and we would know where to go and what to do in light of your word. God, we ask that you would speak to uh, each one who is here this morning. Lord, you know what's on our minds and in our hearts. And so, Father, we ask that you would uh, speak to us in the way that only you can through the teaching of your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What a time in history, a worldwide pandemic, government mandates for the good of all, and those who are not submitting to these mandates are seen as the perpetuators of the problem. And I'm not talking about now. I'm talking about the year 250, when there was a pandemic then, and the solution was seen as worshiping the old Roman gods, and you would get yourself a little certificate piece of paper that would show that you've done this thing. And you could see how that might be hard for some Christians to submit to that. Uh, And they were viewed because immediately after this mandate was given, uh, there was a pandemic that broke out that was flu-based, animal in origin. Sound familiar? (laughs) Uh, The times that we live in are perilous times, but they're not unique If you read through uh, the annals of church history, uh, these things have come and gone, and they continue to come and go, Uh, and Paul is writing to Timothy for Timothy to know uh, what he, he's writing that Timothy would know what he should know about the last days, Uh, and that's our our first point that we're looking at, but uh, the whole message title, if you're taking notes, is Our Days in the last days, or our time in the last times. Paul was writing at the end of his time about the last times. And whether or not we are in the last times for the whole earth, uh, we don't know when our last day may be. Uh, When our last day will be, it could be today. For all we know, uh, the Lord may take us home in a variety of ways. Uh, He's capable of doing that. But he wants us to know how we ought to spend our days Uh, in the days that are considered the last days. The very first command that uh, we get right out of the gate, there are three commands throughout chapter 3 he's going to give us, but the first one that he gives to Timothy uh, is right there in verse 1. He says, but know this. Uh, He wants Timothy to have an understanding of what he's about to say in light of everything that he had been saying. Uh, so the, the very first word there, but, is in contrast to what he had been talking about. Um, if you were here last week, you would uh, recall that he was talking about those who are really interested in arguing for the sake of arguing, and, and Paul said, don't engage in those kinds of arguments, but engage the people to win the people. Um, but he's going to say, those people are always going to be around, but know this about uh, the last days. The last days, first of all, he says, will come. The last days will come. Uh, Peter warns us that uh, in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses uh, 2 through 3, he says that scoffers will come in the last days, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Everything has continued as it was ever since the beginning of the world. And what Peter says about them is that they are willfully ignorant about the time that things didn't just continue as normal, uh, about uh, Noah and the flood, about a time in history when God did judge the whole world. Uh, and when Peter is writing about that, he says that they are willfully ignorant. I like one uh, person's interpretation of that passage. It means stupid on purpose. <laughs> and that's, that's what it's saying about their view of history and about what God is doing and what God will or won't do in the future. And the very first thing I want to highlight for us is that there will be, there will be days that are the last days. When, when are those days going to be? Well, uh, many say that it is today, and that is not new uh, information. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, at the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out, uh, and everybody was confused at what was going on, Peter explained it. Uh, He said, this is that which was spoken of the prophet Joel. And then he quotes the prophet Joel, and this is what the prophet Joel had to say. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So according to Peter, the last days began in Acts chapter 2. Later, the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2, God has in these last days spoken to us by his son. John, in writing in First John, uh, chapter two, verse eighteen, he says, "Little children, it is the last hour." So we're we're here now, <laughs> and the the idea is is in the last days that when Jesus can come, uh, we're we're running on a parallel street to that. Imagine if you're going down a road and there's another road right next to you, and you're just running parallel to it. How long will it take you to get to that road? Well, it depends. When are you going to make that turn to get to that, make that connection? We've been running parallel to the coming of Jesus since Acts chapter 2. Uh, the book of Revelation says that when he comes, uh, he's going to come quickly. That is, it's right around the corner. When it comes, it will be here suddenly. And so the hour and the days and the time are now. In in that one sense, from what uh, the scripture says, Uh, tells us is that the last days are the days that we are living in, but they've been the last days since the Spirit has been given. And there's purpose in that waiting. Uh, Again, back in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, the reason why the Lord has been patient thus far, the reason why this day has been a long last days, is because uh, it's not because the Lord is slack concerning his promises, uh, but it's because he's patient and he's waiting for people to repent. And as much as we would like to see the Lord come back and execute judgment right now, we are also, at the same time, thankful that he didn't do that right before we repented. (laughs) Right? We are thankful that he was patient enough to wait for us. And that's why the last days hasn't been the last day yesterday, but we're in the last days, is because of the patience of God uh, is waiting and being patient with those lost who are still Going to be saved. But he describes these last days as perilous. Uh, The word can also uh, be translated hard to bear, troublesome, dangerous, harsh, fierce, savage. The only other time this word is used in the New Testament is used to describe two demon-possessed guys that made it so hard to be around that nobody would go wherever they were at. Everybody would just go around them. (laughs) They were too perilous. It's the only other time this word is used. And uh, the last days will be marked by perilous times. But they will be perilous times um, because uh, it will be marked by ungodly men. The last days will be perilous times because they will be marked by ungodly men. Here, Paul doesn't highlight uh, the climactic changes or the government changes that Jesus highlighted in uh, Matthew chapter 24, saying that there will be, uh, you know, earthquakes and you know different geological events and you know wars and rumor of wars. Those kinds of things are certainly part of it. But what Paul is pointing out here is that those the peril of those times won't be because of uh, governments per se. The peril of those times won't be because of uh, the geological events that are happening uh, of those days, but the peril, the source of the peril, will be ungodly men. Notice what it says in verse 2, for men will be. It'll, And then he gives this long list of 19 characteristics of the way that ungodly men will be, but again, the, the source of the peril is because of the way that Men will be, not necessarily because of uh, governing uh, systems, although that's certainly a part of it, not necessarily because of the geological events that are happening, although that's certainly part of it. Paul points out here, uh, if we read through the list again, uh, imagine there being a room that's empty, and every time I read one of these characteristics, a person shows up, <laughs> and it's, they, they're there representing that characteristic, and as the room fills up, Would that be a room you would want to enter? Let's listen to uh, that list again, this list of 19 uh, characteristics of the ungodly. Lovers of self, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. One commentator, in looking at this passage, his commentary on this section is like nine pages long, and I looked at that, and I was like, if I'm going to try to describe each one of these in detail, that's going to be Is gonna be too much for what we're trying to accomplish this morning, Uh, but I I like the way he phrases it. He he says, here is one of the most terrible pictures in the New Testament of what a godless world would look like. And then he says, let us look at them one by one. I was like, how depressing. (laughs) Let's not do that. (laughs) Um, Rather, I would have us to, um, instead of uh, observing each tree in particular, observe the forest that he describes get the whole picture of what he's describing here. And uh, I want to note the bookends of his descriptions here. Notice how it starts off that the that will be marked by the perilous times. The very first thing that he says is that men will be lovers of self. I can tell you that there are secular songs uh, on the radio because I work in a store where they play these songs, um, where they sing about the the problem that you have and the solution to the problem that you have is that you need to learn to love yourself. That's that's the songs that they're singing. (laughs) And uh, the Bible says that no one has ever hated himself, but rather nourishes his flesh and cherishes it. Um, One pastor, in commenting on this section, he said, no one hates themselves. They're like, oh, I hate myself. I'm so ugly. He's like, if you hated yourself, you would be happy you were ugly. The Bible says that the problem isn't that we don't love ourselves. The, the Bible says that the problem is we, we love ourselves too much and that perilous times will be marked by people who love themselves. As opposed to God and one another, the great commandment that Jesus gave... When he was asked what's the greatest commandment, he said it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say the second and third. He just said the second The second is love your neighbor as you already are loving yourself. I'm not sure if when you woke up this morning you were wondering if my coffee was ready, but that was my thought. (laughs) You know why? Because I I think about myself. (laughs) And we all do. That's the way... Uh, in which we're made, but part of the fallen nature is we think about ourselves too much. We love ourselves in a way that is not honoring to God and is not honoring to one another in the way that God has called us to. They are marked by, again, self-love. That's one end, the one bookshelf, uh, the one book end on the one side, and on the other end of this list of ungodly people, um, he doesn't say um, that they are Uh, people who are without an appearance of godliness. He doesn't say that they are, you know, avowed atheists, that they say that God doesn't exist, that they don't want to uh, appear to be godly. Notice verse 5. He says, having a form of godliness. The ungodly are ungodly in their character, but not in their appearance. When the ungodly are ungodly in their character, but ungodly, uh, but godly in their appearance, Paul says those are perilous times. Uh, One commentator had this to say about that. The terrifying fact is that such people are professing Christians who probably want to be considered as religious and holy. Even though having this form of godliness, they deny the power. And, and what that's speaking about is that the power to change and to live a holy life, a godly life, a life that's different, a life that would take God's power <laughs> uh, to live. Uh, I was speaking with some friends and uh, they were saying, you know, how hard it is to, to, to live and make the right choices, and I, was, I reminded them, It's not hard, it's impossible. The standard that God has for us, we cannot do apart from him. And he's designed it that way. But here's the glorious and good news about all of that. It is possible with God, all of it, 100% of it, 100% of the time. Why? Because the power of God working in us actually does change us. To live holy and godly lives, not just to have an appearance of godliness, but to actually have a character that is godly, that's the power of God working in a life. Peter and uh, Jude, again, speaking uh, about these kinds of people in the last days, uh, in second Peter, chapter three, verse three, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days who walk according to their own lusts. What's the guiding principle? Of their heart, it's what they want. I sometimes jokingly uh, tell my wife that my family crest is, I do what I want. (laughs) And uh, that family crest isn't the Novello family crest, it's the uh, Adam and Eve family crest, right? It's basically what they said to God. I do what I want. (laughs) That's what, again, the last days would be marked by. But Jude also tells us in uh, Jude 18, how uh, they told you that the, Jesus and the apostles told us that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly us. So it's just people doing what they want, however they want, but they're doing it uh, with the moniker of godliness. They're doing it wanting to be accepted as, quote unquote, religious and holy. And Paul's instruction for Timothy, the second command that he gives, our second main point, uh, is in addition to knowing that the end times are going to come and that they will be marked by peril and they will be perilous because of ungodly men, uh, he, he tells Timothy, he gives him the command to turn away from them. Notice uh, there at the end of verse 5, and from such people turn away. Uh, The command uh, is an expression that means to repel them from you. Uh, When Paul gives that command, it's a present command, which is interesting because he's, again, talking about end times days, uh, but then he gives them a present tense command, which means these people are already there (laughs) from these people, Timothy. Timothy turn away right now. He's not speaking of some future end time. In the end times, they're going to be more prevalent. There's going to be more of them. They'll be the dominant. Um, But that future peril is already present. But I want to clarify what Paul is saying here. He's not saying to do this with all of the ungodly. He's saying to do this in particular with the ungodly who have a form of godliness. That is, if you were to look to find this group of people in the way that Paul would have us to look for these kinds of people, that list of 19 attributes of ungodly people, he wouldn't have us rush to the windows, pull open the blinds, and like cup our hands and say, where are those ungodly people out there? He would have us close the blinds and look around. the ungodly that he's speaking of aren't out there, Paul is warning. He's saying they're in here. And this is something that he explains, I think, in in greater detail in First Corinthians chapter 5. First Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, Paul uh, writes, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, and yet I certainly did not mean the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. (laughs) If you were going to turn away from the ungodly and you thought that meant the people out there, you would have to um, buy a ticket to space. (laughs) Maybe visit Mars. Uh, He's not saying to turn away from the ungodly who are unap- unapologetically ungodly. Like, yeah, I do bad things and I don't care. He's not talking about those people. He's not talking about the ungodly in appearance. He's talking about those who claim to be brothers and sisters in Christ. He goes on and say, says in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater, or revelers, or a drunkard, or an extortioner—not even to eat with such a person. Do you see? It's a similar list that he's listing there, and he's writing to Corinth. Which, if you don't know anything about that ancient city, it's like Las Vegas, um, Reno, and you know all the sin cities combined into one place. That—that that was the church. That was—that's where the church was planted. <laughs> It was uh, instead of first and second Corinthians, you can you can change it in your Bible to first and second Californians if you want. <laughs> they had a lot of the same issues. they were ungodly people in an ungodly place where ungodliness was common and rampant and the expected standard of everyone just to live that way um, but But the Bible is clear um, and, and Paul is clear in his writing to the Corinthians that uh, even though that's who they once were, uh, that's not who they have to remain. And those who live in that lifestyle yet claim uh, allegiance or want that moniker of godliness, Paul, Paul has this to say about them uh, later in First Corinthians chapter 6. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And I want you to hear this next verse. And such were some of you. But you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is, though their lives were marked by ungodliness, they weren't so far gone from God that their lives couldn't become marked by godliness because the power of God is there to allow us to live actual godly lives. And the testimony of the the Corinthian church gives us hope today because uh, you don't have to stay that way. But what Paul is warning here, what Paul is commanding Timothy to do, is from those who want to be ungodly but have the title of godly, from that kind of person turn away, repel them from you. Uh, Paul's command in, in 1 Corinthians is... Uh, to not keep company with them. That is, there's no actual fellowship we can have with somebody who's walking in that kind of a way, nor should we pretend like there is, nor should we pretend like the life that they're living and choosing to live is going to allow them to also enter into heaven, because the Bible is clear, we just read it, none of those people are allowed in, not because they've done it once and now they can never be saved, but because they choose to continue in it, And it's a choice. It's a genuine choice. You know why? Because the grace of God covers all sin. All it requires is the confession of those sins and the forsaking of those sins. That's why there's an accountability to it. And that's the purpose of this command, is to to make the ungodly, godly, uncomfortable. (laughs) Again, the, the command turn away is like physically I'm going to put you over here it's it's removing them from a false sense of security and fellowship Paul describes them further uh, in verses six through seven uh, six and seven and verse thirteen uh, the way I've described it is from such and this sort the ungodly uh, described further uh, the from such is the eight uh, the 19 descriptors that we've already read, and then this sort, he adds three more descriptors. Uh, verse 6, uh, creeps and conquerors, and verse 13, impostors. Notice in verse 6, for of this sort are those who creep into household. Um, so the biblical term for them are creeps. Are there creeps in church? Yes, that's what the Bible says. Jude, uh, the book of Jude, verse 4, it says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed. That means they're successful creeps. (laughs) And where are they creeping? Not out there. They've come here to creep. They're creepers. How are you going to recognize the creepers? It's not by the name tag that says godly. It's by the character and the conduct that will reveal who they really are. Paul, in uh, visiting the church of Ephesus, where Timothy is currently a pastor at, um, on his way uh, to Jerusalem, stopped by and met with all of the elders, uh, the other pastors who were there, uh, and he was encouraging them and exhorting them and warning them. And in part of that encouragement and exhortation, in Acts chapter 20, verse 29 and 30, Acts chapter 20 verses 29 and 30, he says, "For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves." Will come. They will come in uh, among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So, Paul knew in his time, there would be a time shortly after his time had departed, where there would be false teachers coming into the church, whose goal it was. Not just to be successful creeps, but to make captives. Notice what it says there again in verse 6 and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. The reason why they are able to make these people captives is because they don't have the truth. But the reason why uh, these people who are taken captive aren't able, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth is because the false teachers don't have that ability to give them truth. They don't have the truth, that you can't give what you don't have. And these false teachers will teach and teach and teach. And there'll be people who are learning and learning and learning, but they're never changing. There's no power in their lives to change. They're, they're, there's not an end. They're not actually coming to the knowledge of truth because the truth is not being given to them Notice in verse 13, but evil men, and this word is important, imposters, will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's interesting, the last way that they're described there is being deceived, the imposters themselves, the one who are going about deceiving, will begin to believe the lies they, they tell. They believe their own lies. They're not only deceiving, but they are also being deceived, but they're imposters. That means they're They're there on purpose, misrepresenting themselves. And again, the there is not out there. The there is in here. That people with bad motives will come into the church, misrepresent themselves purposefully with the goal of deceiving and making captives. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, there will also be false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the, uh, the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth has been blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you, with deceptive words, for a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction will not slumber nor sleep. If you want to know what that is like, there are many examples uh, in the Christian world of TV and different false teachings that are out there, where what they're drawing people in with is covetousness, a desire, an ungodly desire for more. And that's what they're getting their audience in by. Paul points to an example. uh, Verses uh, 8 and 9, he tells us the future of this ungodly group. The future of the ungodly group are the same as Janus and Jambres. Notice verse 8, now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses. Now, who are they? Uh, We don't know this from the biblical text, but from extra biblical texts, different histories and uh, traditions in the Jewish uh, community that these were the two magicians that uh, when Moses threw his rod down and it became a snake, they also threw their rod down and it became snakes. Uh, but then Moses' rod ate their snakes. <laughs> and then when Moses turned uh, water into blood, they also made the situation worse by turning the remaining water into blood. And then when Moses turned, you know, had lice come out from everywhere, they're like, we can't, we can't compete with this. Why they would want to increase that, I don't know. But they were imposters. They wanted to say they were the finger of God. And what they ended up saying was, this is the finger of God. That in the end, their false teachings and their misrepresentations would become known. And that's what he's saying here. Uh, Not only do these also resist the truth, because they are men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, But their folly, verse 9, will be manifest to all. Uh, When they failed, they failed on stage and in a big way. And whether that's at the end of their life or during their lifetime, people who pretend to have the power of God, who don't actually have the power of God, will only be able to imitate for so long and for so far. But the actual power of God is what changes people and what actually brings about better... Things. So Paul's first commandment is that he wants us to know that the end times are coming. Paul's uh, second commandment is to turn away from the ungodly, who want the moniker of godly, not who are out there, but for who are inside, and that that will be what's marking the perilous times is that the church itself would be known by not just a name but an ungodly character. And so what is, what are we to do in our days, in these last days? Well, Paul tells Timothy that the final command that he gives is uh, there in verse 14, and we'll, we'll cover what's there before, but I want you to notice first the, the command that Paul gives Timothy, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. You must continue. This is the third command, the three commands in our text today. No, turn away, and continue. So we're not just turning away and turning away from fellowship of those who would claim to be godly, but whose characters are ungodly, who have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. But the, the final command in verses 10 through 19 is keep going to keep growing keep going to keep growing. So Paul reminds Timothy first that this is what Timothy has been doing. Paul's past life and experience with Timothy, uh, he tells him in verse 10, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, love and perseverance. Notice verse 11, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Iconium, at, at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. The list that Paul gives there of those specific cities uh, are the first cities that Paul went to on his first missionary journey. He went on three different missionary journeys, uh, and Paul's normal routine for his missionary journey was to go and preach until people repented or caused a riot, or both. <laughs> like he wasn't done until people were either repenting in tears or throwing rocks at him or throwing him in prison, and he tells them uh, that, and he tells Timothy, uh, I endured all of these persecutions, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Now, one of those, the Lord delivered him in a way that, you know, people thought he was dead. They took him out to the trash heap and then threw his body on there, assuming he was dead, and perhaps he was dead, we don't know. Uh, The Lord allowed him to go to heaven at that moment for a little bit and then come back, and uh, he walks back into the city the next day and then leaves. <laughs> like, Paul, you're, you're quite bold in, in, those ac- in those actions. But notice that it says, out of them and not, uh, he kept me from being persecuted. He gave him the strength to endure the persecution. And, and Paul highlights that uh, you have carefully followed my life. This careful following in the past, your past actions, Paul says, are good. You've observed me. You've seen. Uh, But he he slips in this uh, promise that if you have one of those Christian promise books, probably not in there. I just want to throw that out there, the possibility. Verse 12, this promise of scripture given to believers everywhere. You ready for it? You can underline it, highlight it if you like. It says, yes, and all who desire to live godly, that would be you and me, I hope, in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. One Scottish evangelist uh, used to lament, um, everywhere Paul went, there was a riot. Everywhere I go, they serve me tea. And if there isn't a part of your life because of your obedience to Christ that's offensive to somebody in the world, that is something that probably should concern us. I know that in my life and in my work environment in particular, there are certain aspects of my Christianity that they enjoy. They enjoy it when I tell the truth on myself of things that have gone wrong and I'm like, no, I did that. I could've gotten away with it, but no, it was me. And they're like, ah, I really appreciate Austin telling the truth on himself. That's very convenient because now I'm not going to get in trouble and everybody, you know, they know. They know that, you know, if Austin did it, he's going to confess because, you know, apparently that's what Christians do. I'm going to tell the truth. Why? Because, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The devil is the father of lies. <laughs> We're going to speak for one father or the other. So I want to be known as the guy who told the truth. Well, one time in one of my work environments, uh, my boss asked me to lie for, for him so that he wouldn't get in trouble. Let me tell you, for a week he didn't talk to me because I, I had to tell him this. It's like, look, I don't, I don't lie to you. And I know you appreciate that, but I, I also, I can't lie for you. I don't, I don't tell the truth so that you'll have a good relationship with me. I tell the truth so I can have a good relationship with God. And he didn't get in trouble, but he also didn't talk to me for a week. But I'll tell you what, at the end of that time that I had that work experience, uh, the Lord opened the door for me to share the gospel with him. And for like two and a half hours, I told every junior high illustration I ever invented up to that point <laughs> in, in the parking lot after we had my going away dinner. It was when I was in Southern California and uh, every, our tradition was anybody who was you know leaving, we'd take them all out and eat some food and we all went out and ate some food and uh, in the parking lot uh, from, from 10 o'clock at night to 12.30 in the morning, he just listened to me share with him the truth of the gospel. And because of the year and a half of living out the convictions of the gospel before him, there was nothing he could say. I don't know where he's at, but the Lord allowed me to get that job and to work under that boss and to have those experiences. But because he knew I was more concerned about my relationship with my Lord than my relationship with my boss who could make my work terrible. Like I didn't have the greatest job. I was the janitor in a bakery. Like there's nobody lower than me. Like if anybody else makes a mess, they call me. That's my job is to clean up after everyone. <laughs> and, and he could make my job very miserable if he wanted to. And that was something I was willing to risk if it meant honoring the Lord. Again, if your obedience to God isn't frustrating some people around you, the ungodly in particular, that is something we should think about because the promise of scripture is clear all those who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. There, there's just there's no way around that. And that's because they don't submit to the same king that we do. And even though at times they may very much enjoy the fact that you're godly, there's going to come a time where they would prefer that you were a little less godly. <laughs> Notice in verse 13 and 14, uh, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. They're going to continue to do what they do, and they're going to grow in their ability to do that. And that is contrasted. Verse 14, but, the, but there is the contrast of the growth of those who are getting more ungodly, the deceiving and being deceived. Uh, there should be an equal but opposite growth in our life. An equal but opposite growth in the life of Timothy is what Paul is saying. But you must continue If you keep going, Paul says, you will keep growing. And the need is to keep going. (laughs) The the past obedience is not going to carry you on into the future. There needs to be fresh obedience. But you must continue in the things which you have learned. What, What Timothy had learned was the message of the gospel. He goes on to say, knowing from whom you have learned them. I'm sure that Paul considered himself a part of the whom but in addition to that whom were Timothy's mother and grandmother who Paul highlights earlier in his letters to Timothy, that from childhood he had known the scriptures because they had raised him up in the scriptures. Like think about the life of the godly who have discipled you and poured into you, seeing their end and considering your own and living in like manner. Uh, But the thing in which he highlights and gives much more space to uh, beyond the whom is the what he's supposed to continue in. Uh, verse 15 through 17 continue in the Holy Scriptures. Again, verses 15 through 17 continue in the Holy Scriptures, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. A side note this is why we teach the children in our children's ministry the Scriptures. Our goal is to help them grow spiritually. To know the Scriptures from childhood uh, is a, a gift that we desire each one of the children here in this fellowship to have. Notice what Paul says about these scriptures. They are able to make you wise for salvation. The holy scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. The holy scriptures show that salvation is through faith in Christ Jesus. The holy scriptures are given by the inspiration of God. That word there is it could also mean God breathed, or he's actually the one speaking them out. And God did that purposefully, not just so that we would know what's on God's mind and in his heart, but he did it for believers to be equipped. And this is how the Word of God equips us. Notice what the Word of God is good for. The Holy Scriptures are good for, notice there in verse 16, uh, it says it's profitable for, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What he's saying here, uh, I like what uh, Warren Wiersbe, his commentary on this section is very helpful because a lot of those words are churchy words that I never hear outside of church. That's what I mean by churchy words. Doctrine and reproof and correction, instruction and righteousness. I've never heard any of those words and or phrases outside of a church. So Warren Wiersbe gives us a level of understanding that I can work with. So I'm gonna give that to you because maybe you're also where I'm at. So doctrine is what is right. Reproof is what is not right. Correction is how to get right, and instruction in righteousness is how to stay right. This is what the Word of God does. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It, It shows me accurately where I'm at, and it shows me accurately where I need to go. Because sometimes where I'm at is right, sometimes where I'm at is wrong, it's not right. And I need the Word of God to show me how to get right. And when I am right, I also need to know how to stay right. (laughs) This is the work of the Word of God in the life of somebody who submits to the Word of God. And this is the tool that God has given to us, the church, to use with one another. Uh, He says that the man of God, notice, may be complete. And then he describes what complete means. Thoroughly equipped. Like, all right, we get it, Paul. (laughs) Complete and thoroughly equipped. Notice what for? for every good work. We were created for good works, according to Ephesians 2.10. We are prepared in, uh, by sanctification for good works. We read that last week in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 tells us that the Spirit empowers us to do the work that God has called us to do. And all these things, when they're working together, when we're doing what God has created us to do and the power that God has given us to do it, with the word that God has given to us, Uh, Jesus describes this in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verse 16. He says, Let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works, they will glorify your Father in heaven. That one confused me for a long time. I was like, how are they seeing my good works and glorifying God in heaven? Let me explain. When they see you doing these good works, the good works that God created you for, the good works the Holy Spirit is empowering you to do, the good works that the word of God thoroughly equips you to do, the good works that are only possible if sanctification, that confession and forsaking of sin is a part of your life. They see the Father who created you. They see the Son who equips you. And they see the Spirit who empowers you doing these good works. So what do they see? They see God at work. That's why when they see your good works, they glorify the Father and not you. When I tell the truth about my boss, (laughs) like, I don't know if there's a God in heaven, but this guy, this guy thinks there is. (laughs) Right? They glorify God in heaven. Why, it's not because I'm doing anything special or miraculous, but because God has done something (laughs) special and is doing something miraculous in my life and through my life. The exhortation to each one of us this morning, the the exhortation that Paul would give to Timothy is to let your light so shine. And what I'm asking, what Paul has asked, is not possible apart from a right relationship with God. You can't let a light shine that you don't have. We are lampstands, not the light. (laughs) The light is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we're supposed to let that light shine. But know that doing that, it's not without a cost. There's gonna be people who are like, look, you can be ungodly and, have, and still have the godly moniker. It's okay, you can do this. And that is going to be what's more and more normal. But that's not who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to know that whether it's the end times or the end of our time, that we're to turn away from the ungodly who want the godly moniker, and that we are to keep going to keep growing. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, for your word, uh, which thoroughly equips us for every good work. I ask that... uh, For those who are here, within the sound of my voice, whether tuning in online or here in this room, Lord, that uh, there would be more than just a facade of godliness, but there would be actual godliness in our character. And it's not because it's something we have the power to do apart from you, but it's because of the power that you offer to each one of us the power of a changed life, the power of living lives that are obedient to you. Lord, for those of us who have walked in the truth, Lord, I pray for a pouring out of your spirit upon us, Lord, to continue in the things. Lord, that we would uh, allow the word to have its work in our hearts and that we would use the word to work in the hearts of those around us. Lord, knowing that your word is, is what equips us. It's your spirit that empowers us. Lord, that we are your creations that you've created for good works. Lord, help us to let our light so shine before men that when they see our good works, that you would be glorified in heaven. We ask this in your name.